You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and I'm going to start this uh, episode off by giving all of you some advice. Make sure that your hunting gear and equipment is ready for the upcoming season. And if you have kids, keep your hunting gear uh, and equipment away from your children uh, and or access or any place that's accident prone. Like, so I'll kind of tell you what happened. Um, my sons and the neighbor boys were in the garage and they were messing around and something happened and my bow fell off of the hook that it was hanging on. I have three bows, some of my old bows, um, hanging on this hooks underneath of a shelf. There's stuff around it, so it's really hard to get to. So I think they were kicking a basketball in the garage, knocked it off, and I went back, I went to go start shooting the other day. It was hanging there like it was supposed to be. Uh, but I, I started shooting and it was way off. I'm like, what in the head? So, you know, instantly it starts messing with your head, right? Instantly it start, you start to say to yourself, man, what is going on here? So I look and it's the issue that I had what was having before where the, I guess you want to call it the third axis that rotates it clockwise or counterclockwise. You can, there's a, on my site that had been knocked loose and so there's um, two lines that when they touch tells you it's level but the lines were off and so I had to adjust it which means I have to recite in my bow and I'm hoping it doesn't take too long uh, I was shooting I was shooting pretty good at 60 yards I know I mentioned that on a previous podcast that I like to shoot at longer ranges so that it you know I can spend my time making minor adjustments at longer distances so that when I'm in a tree stand or if I have an encounter out west at, you know, let's just say 20 yards, then I'll feel very confident in that. But now I have to go through the steps of reciting in 20 yards and 30 yards and the rest that are the site that I use, you, you site in 20, then you site in 30. And then what happens is uh, uh, 40, 50, and 60 are automatically calculated for you. And you don't have to, you don't have to side in those pins. Maybe some minor adjustments at longer distances, uh, either 
left or right usually, but up and down tends to be uh, tends to be really you know really easy. Left and right is where uh, I, you have to do the minor adjustments. At least that's how I do it. And so <laughs> I I just I I didn't know who did it. I didn't care who did it. It just means I got to do a little bit more work at getting the bow uh, recited in and making sure it's not broken or anything. I, I, I did a evaluation of the bow. It looks like it's good. I've shot arrows out of it. Feels like it's nothing really has changed on it. But uh, again, don't let your kids, especially if they're young, anywhere near your hunting gear and equipment. And so I learned my lesson and now I got to take that bow and uh, put it up in my office where no one can get to it. So uh, take, take heed, my friends. All right. Today's episode, we're going to be talking with Matt Rose. Now, Matt is a Missouri native and he is going to share with us a three-year story of a buck that he named Slingshot. This is a awesome story and it is a, it's a story that I can actually relate to just given how active the farm is that he hunts the how the deer use the terrain how he uses trail cameras he's started messing around with mock scrapes and the end of this story like as he's telling me this and the multiple times that this buck is within shooting range that he had to draw back and then let down and then draw back and then let down without making any noise before he actually got an opportunity, uh, a, a clear shot at this buck, and the rest is kind of history. So um, make sure that you guys listen to this podcast. Make sure that uh, you talk about it on social. I, you know, if you, if you, what I really want to know is, and I asked this question on Instagram, is if you have ever had to draw back and then let down and then draw back and let down again with a target animal within shooting range. Um, I've been there a couple times. It sucks. And I never did get the buck on that particular encounter, but uh, it's definitely, it's definitely a stressful situation. So uh, that's what we talk about today. Before we get into today's episode though, we got to do the commercials and uh, the commercials today are Tethered Wasp, Vortex, and Ozonics. Now, later this week uh, on the Hunting Gear podcast, uh, I'm going, I don't know if I'm going to launch it this week or next week, but I'm going to be talking with some of the guys from uh, Ozonics and, uh, and and just get an update on their on their product line. I, I, dude, I love using Ozone. I love using Ozone in the tree. Um, I think from a science-based uh, standpoint, strictly, like it works, right? Ozone eliminates odor because it has an unstable molecule. That unstable molecule attacks all the molecules around it and basically dilutes it. So if you have, let's say, it's, it's like those squeeze juice, right? So if your scent is the squeeze juice that you, that you squeeze into water, at itself, the squeeze juice is very concentrated, very potent. But once you start adding water to it, it starts to dilute and it becomes thin. And if you add enough water to it, then it doesn't even taste like juice anymore. If that if that makes sense at all. So what I'm getting at is this ozone, this O3 from the ozonics unit on your clothes in the air dilutes everything around it. Yes, it smells like something, but it dilutes 
the the bad scent that deer associate with danger so that's why i like using ozone so um if you don't use ozone i strongly strongly suggest going to ozonicshunting.com and reading up on all of their units how they work how ozone works and uh and educate yourself on ozone and i'll i'm a big fan of using it so uh that's ozonics vortex optics man they came out with a new youth model um, I forget the name of it right now, but go to vortexoptics.com and they came out with a very affordable youth model and the binoculars that they sent me, uh, this youth model binoculars, I'm going to give my daughter as a gift and hopefully she takes care of them uh, and I might even uh, get her a little bino harness that she can wear on her chest and it's just perfect. It's a perfect introductory uh, set of optics for a kid. Uh, and, and then the best part about this is kids are hard on their products, you know? And so when kids are hard on, hard on things, then you can take advantage of the VIP warranty that Vortex offers, right? And so uh, you can take that, uh, uh, take that pair of binoculars, your kids break it, you send it in, they fix it for free and they send it back to you. Now you got a, uh, a brand new basically set of binoculars again so uh, go check that out vortexoptics.com wasp archery i'm just going to lead with the discount code here i have a 20 percent off wasp archery nfc20 and that's going to get you 20 percent off of all wasp archery broadheads wasparchery.com i'm a huge fan of the three blade jackhammer and i'm a huge fan of the boss four blade uh, so go check that out and all the other uh, uh, heads that they have majority of their heads are made in america wasparchery.com last but definitely not least because i am uh what did i do i worked on some climbing sticks this weekend taping them up with some hockey tape that's i guess if you want to call that a mod that's the mod that i do uh, i put a little bit of the tape on my platforms as well especially around the vertical bar and uh, put the put my platforms together, wrapped a little bit of hockey tape around the front and the sides uh, to prevent any, you know, it it, deaden, it deadens the noise down quite a bit actually, uh, you know, especially any any type of metal on metal, and and getting ready and just shooting out of of my saddle, preparing for the upcoming season. So I'm getting ready to. Uh, take on South Dakota here in about 30 days. I want to be I want to be proficient from the ground with my bow and in a saddle uh, because if things if there's an opportunity to get into a tree and uh and set up and maybe shoot a mule deer from the ground, man, that would be uh that would be awesome. So what else do I have to say? That's it. That's it. Tetherednation.com. Go check out their saddle, saddle hunting accessories, platforms, uh, climbing sticks, and all the accessories that you need. So uh, go check those out. Now, we're done with the commercials, and I really appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to listen to those commercials because that's how I get paid. Uh, and enjoy this episode, and we'll talk to you on the back end. Three, two, one. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we're joined by Matt Rose. Matt, dude, how you doing today? 
Good, man. I'm on the job site right now watching the guys work, so they're pissed at me, but that, that doesn't suck either. <laughs> hey, are you are you management? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, it's just – I mean, I, I work for a couple of my real good buddies that own a landscape company, and I form in the, their crews, so, Okay, yeah. all right. Well, I hate to say it. Whether you're in the truck or not, they hate you anyway, right? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> you're one of those guys that – uh, I got a, uh, I got a couple friends who are contra or they they work for big contractors and they're and they're job site foremans as well, and so and so they sit in that building that they pull onto the big job sites, and people come in all day like it must be nice to sit in air conditioning, you know, and like and so people hate them no matter what what's going on. There's always something wrong. No, I don't do that. I mean, I'm out on job sites doing doing the labor. We don't have – we're not that big of a scale, but I completely get what you're saying. And, uh, yeah, I do have some AC time from, from job to job and from stop to stop, but for the most part, I'm out in it every day. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so it's a landscaping company. Commercial, residential, both? Both, yep. yeah. Yeah, we do hardscapes, softscapes, uh, irrigation, um, a lot of maintenance stuff. Yeah. Yeah, if for some reason you're accidentally in Eastern Iowa and feel like doing some pro bono work on on a on a resident, man, my my yeah. landscaping is old and beat to shit, and like on the side, like I do enough work to keep it look like it's not abandoned, and then on the sides of the house, then that's where like all the weeds grow and because they can't see that shit. So I got a I got a couple small trees I need to hack down and and some bushes to trim up. You know, I'll check the schedule when I get back. <laughs> I just respond to a little free time. So exactly, it's the it's the bad time of year uh, to to try to schedule that. But woo, dude, you shot More. you shot a giant this year, man. Yeah, it was a it was something else. I'm still. I mean, it's still kind of crazy how it all happened, but. Uh... Yeah, it was yeah. fun, man. I'm I'm interested. In, I'm happy to get into the story for you. Yeah, absolutely. So. I think I, what we're going to do here is we're just going to go in chronological order. I think that's the best thing to do. And um, first off, where in Missouri, you're from Missouri. What part of Missouri does this all take place? Uh, Callaway County, pretty well center of the state. Um, we're, we're north of the Missouri River uh, where, where we hunt probably about 10, 10 to 12 miles. Okay. Um, Right along, right along I seventy. Okay, so center center part of the state. Describe to us the terrain in that area of the the state. Yeah, um, it varies. Uh, you know, on the northern side of the county, it's pretty flat and open, and a lot of big ag country. And then on as you get a little closer to the river um, and kind of the parts in between, it's a little. It's a little hillier. Um, there's some bluffs. There's a lot of creeks that run through here, so it it, it breaks up the habitat really well. And um, it's mixed ag, um, mixed farming operations as far as cattle and stuff go. And then um, it's pretty heavy timber in spots too. So it's it's really good habitat for deer. Yeah, and and it sounds like it's working agriculture as well, right? This property isn't just strictly managed for deer. No, I mean. <laughs> no, we, we, we do, um, 
there are there a farmer farms about 85 90 acres of this is a 500 acre piece where i killed this deer it's my grandfather's farm it's been in the family for over 100 years um and uh it uh it's always been a mixed operation as far as cattle and, and agriculture goes yeah um my grandfather passed away probably about 15 years ago and since then we haven't really had a big cattle operation my brother has some us kind of a small hobby farm down there um but it's pretty well isolated to maybe a 10 acre patch right where kind of our our shack and our cabin and all of our equipment sheds are and stuff so um it's mainly an agriculture farm and recreational and yeah we we manage it uh for for big deer mostly okay good 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 and so 500 acres, timber, ag, livestock mix type of deal. Um, how many people hunt that farm throughout the year? Um, probably about probably about 10 different people. 10 different, all family? Yeah, yeah, well, and friends, and friends. Okay, yeah. all right. And so is there a... Is there a, is it heavily weighted to gun season? Like are a majority of the people just doing the gun season or are all of those people spread out during the entire season doing all forms of hunting? It's it's mostly, I would say 70% 70 to 75% rifle hunters. Okay. Um, And and they do a little bit of crossbow hunting down there. Uh, A couple guys bow hunt down there, but it really, nobody really um, does it much until, you know, middle october when it cools off a little bit um it's just uh and and i hit it pretty hard early if i can and it just worked out yeah okay all right so talk to us a little bit about this farm in particular and what makes it i don't know good i mean what may you've you already mentioned in multiple occasions that it's good deer habitat what makes this 500 acres good habitat um I'd say the key factor to it is about four or five years ago, maybe give or take a couple years. Um, there used to be some other farms that butt up to it and that are adjacent to it that also had crops on it. And um, the family that had farmed those other uh, farms for whatever reason, kind of got out of ag and switched back to all um, livestock. So it it kind of sucked a lot of deer into our place from other uh, farms that would have been, you know, displaced because of crops being in, in other areas. And um, to me, that's one of the key factors why our numbers have gone up a lot in the last few years, because we're, we're lucky and fortunate in the fact that we're kind of the only real ag source around Um, until last year, they started putting a farm that's adjacent to us about 60 acres of it, probably back in crops. So, um, but we were, I mean, we really haven't seen a downturn in the numbers since. So that's probably the one thing that sets it apart from the other farms that butt up to it is that we have the food. And um, my dad and I also put probably about a dozen acres of food plots on it every year. So, you know, we, we try to give them more than they can handle. Gotcha. All right. And so from a, from a uh, land management portion, part of it, uh, you know, you, you got the egg, you got a little livestock on there. The, the, you know, the neighborhood is, is egg and livestock. It's working. Um, how do you determine where and what kind of food plots you plan on planting every year? I mean, we, 
we kind of work with what we're given as far as what the farmers don't farm. So we work, you know, we use edges, we use fields like fallowed fields that they don't, that they don't do anymore. And we have a bunch of little openings kind of um, up on top of some ridges that allow really good kill plots. Um, and we, we kind of try to mix back and forth. Um, in some of our bottom fields, we try to put some ag in there and we try to kind of match what the farmers do because we have really, really high deer density. So, you know, if, if, if the farmer's planting corn in our 90 acres and me and dad try to plant two acres of soybeans, like it's going to look like a dirt field all summer. So we try to match what the farmer does in those fields. And that kind of lets us get by with, with some browse pressure and stuff like that in the summer. But mostly, um, we do clover, a lot of clover in the spring. Um, we mow it in the summer. If we need to spray it, we'll spray it. And, um, we put in fall pots with radishes and turnips and fall mixes and, Okay. And um, we just try to kind of keep a variety of everything. Gotcha. All right. Um, what's the deer population in that area like? It's high. Um, I went down and filmed the buck I killed one night this year in July on about a 50-acre bean field. And there was about 95 deer in that 50-acre field. So, Holy cow. Um, yeah, it, it's high. I mean, I'd say... On average, during hunting season, probably 40 to 60 deer per square mile. Okay. I mean, it's, and, not, it's not uncommon to see 40 deer a night. Yeah. So, I, I've i talked with some guys who have just a little bit more property than you. Um, well, in, in the grand scheme of things, if I'm comparing uh, 500 acres to, let's say, 1,000 acres total right this one guy says he tries to take about a hundred a hundred does off of that property every single year um and he said that the last time he did that that might have been a little bit too much but it you know the deer herd always seems to recover especially if they have the food and the cover and the water that they need how many deer a year do you guys take off of that 500 acres uh you know that's interesting we we actually keep pretty good track of that and I don't have any numbers here with me, but, um, usually we'll take around 35 to 40 does a year off that farm and sometimes more. Um, and, uh, usually we'll take three to five bucks off of it. You know, okay. um, so you're looking around 40 deer a year and we've gotten over 60 in some years just because the numbers are so high and we yeah. go down there and take friends and, you know, we have, we have doe seasons, uh, in Missouri where, you know, once the normal rifle seasons have passed, we have antlerless only portions where you can go out for several days in a row and fill tags or, you know, we have guests come in and fill tags for us because it's a good, I mean, by that time of year, you know, with the rifle, you can sit over that bean field and you're going to see does. You yeah. Know? So uh, it's a good way to do management. You can do um, depredation tags up here in the summer, but I'm just not a fan of that with the way it all plays out. So yeah. we don't do that. We okay. do all our management in the, in the uh, fall and winter. Okay. All right. Um, now here's where the 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 juice comes, right? Here's here's the the meat and potatoes. How how do you guys manage for bucks? And is there an age class? Is there an antler size? Because uh, I because in my head, my head tells me there's 17 people on there, and it, unless there is set expectations going into absolutely every season of what you can shoot and what you can't shoot then people are going to let bullets fly on stuff that is young. And so describe mm-hmm. to us how you set those expectations for the properties on what bucks to shoot. 
Yeah, so Callaway County actually has, I believe it still does, I know it has in the past, um, it has a four-point restriction on one side. Um, that doesn't apply to youth seasons, uh, I don't believe. So, And when we have youth hunters in for our youth seasons, there are no restrictions. They can shoot whatever they want. I mean, we're not, you know, this is this is more of a family farm and a, and a place to go enjoy it than just to be strict about it. So, right. you know, whenever the family hunts during the rifle seasons, I mean, there really aren't any restrictions, Dan. Okay. I mean, we, me, me and my dad, uh, you know, we, we do kind of, you know, I, I run a couple dozen trail cameras down there. So I know what deer generally are where, and, and we, uh, we can put it t- together a list that we're interested in and a list that we want to not shoot. But, you know, the last three or four years, we've gotten some really good neighbors to our, to our West that I'm on the same page with us. And they're, they're very intense. It's just two guys on a 400 acre piece over there. And he killed a 193 that I was after last year too. So, I mean, we, yeah, we're, we're on some good ones, but it takes, it takes a, it really does take a community to get, to get big deer to grow, I think. But, um, there are really no restrictions from a family standpoint. However, most people down there have killed some decent deer so far. So they kind of keep trying to maintain that bar, uh, for themselves, you know? Um, so it's, it's on a case by case scenario, really. Yeah. Okay. I'd say on half the farm, my dad and I really intensely manage it. On the other half of the farm where my other half of the family spends most of their time, it's much more loose on that side. So the west side of the farm is definitely more intensely managed than the east side of the farm. Okay. All right. And so this buck that we're going to start talking about, right, I feel like especially in a rifle state, and you've already kind of laid out the picture that part of this farm is – pretty intensely managed and it and a neighbor you know i don't know if it's on that side of the farm or on a different side also it's across the creek on the west side okay so they touch right the part that you heavily manage right. and the neighbor's part that they, they, they manage as well so now you have this combined 600 some acres or whatever that right. is is right. intensely managed right as far as age structure and, and antler size is concerned all right so it's laid out did you have a name for this buck that we can reference in this story yeah yeah i named him um last year when he was well i don't know that he was four or if he was five last year but i named him slingshot he had a a big split g2 on his left side that looked like a slingshot so we named him slingshot and then this year he just flipped it over to his right brow tine so it, it actually worked out good okay all right slingshot what year did you first find out about slingshot um 2021 he was a he was a three-year-old eight-pointer um big tall nine-inch brow tie on his right with a split on it already and just a wide frame probably 130 inch kind of buck and um i knew right then he was going to be something if he made it and uh got pictures of him um and saw him one time in the bean field that summer um got pictures of him until probably velvet shed and then he was gone yeah yeah all right so slingshot i I take it he was a three roughly a three-year-old based on what you've said you think estimate that's what we were thinking yeah that's what we were thinking as a as a 2021 buck okay so 2021 three-year-old roughly how big was he Probably 130. Okay, 130. Maybe, maybe 135. Okay. 
nothing spectacular, but you said this this buck has the potential to be something. Absolutely. Okay. Now, describe the area that so you saw okay, so you saw him in velvet and and then after antler shed, he did he disappear for the whole season or just part of it? The whole, whole season. season never got another picture of him. Um, didn't find any sheds. Uh, neighbors, the neighbors um, on the west side of the creek that also intensely manage, uh, we'll just call them the Bama Boys because they're from Alabama. Okay. Um, so that's a reference. Uh, the Bama Boys didn't have any any pictures of him the rest of the year after he shed his velvet. So he had moved off off of both the properties and and was just somewhere else. Okay. Were you thinking about that buck at all during the twenty one the twenty twenty one season at all? Like, man, I wonder where this deer went, or did you just go, hey, cool buck, and then forgot about him? Yeah, I was on a couple of other really big deer that year that I was focused on. So, I mean, he was in the back of my mind. I saved the pictures, cataloged them, and yeah. knew that, you know, in the future I wanted to kind of go back and look and see what he turned into. So, but I didn't really pick, you know, it was kind of no big deal type thing that he left that year to me. Okay. All right. Not a big deal. And that's oftentimes that's what happens when, you know, you're, you're after a certain age class. Hey, I hope this guy makes it. Or I hope I don't run into this guy when I'm feeling, when I got an itchy trigger finger and things like that. Exactly. Um, and so he he leaves. What When is Missouri's opener? When can you start hunting? September 15th. Okay, 15th. All right. So he's gone. All right. When was the next time that you saw this buck or got a trail cam picture of him and, and put, put the pieces of the puzzle together that says, hey, this is him? I didn't realize it was, it was him until this year. I didn't realize that was him as a three-year-old until this year. Um, but looking back now, knowing what I know, he so as a three-year-old, he was probably a 130 kind of buck as an eight-point. As a four-year-old, he turned into probably 155-inch 10 with big brows and a split on his left G2. Um, was, he running the same, was he running the same area? Pretty close. He had shifted about um a quarter mile to the east um right in the center of our farm and um he was there all summer so that's when i named him slingshot i I kept tabs on him all summer um i was on that big deer that 193 last year so i i wasn't hunting slingshot um and then when that deer got killed i actually had another 160 low 60s 10 on that farm that i killed slingshot on um so i hunted him and killed him and and didn't pay really much attention to slingshot kind of really wanting them to make it. And, um, he, uh, he disappeared again. I had pictures of him even in daylight about this time of year. So he stayed around a little bit longer last year. Um, but then he, I didn't get any pictures of him in October, not a single picture. And I killed my deer last year on October 19th, I think. And, um, just kept running cameras, you know, cause we get another tag in Missouri once the rifle season opens up and, and I usually take guests and my wife and stuff during rifle. So I don't really hunt a lot during rifle season, but I still run a lot of cameras and try to figure out, you know, what deer are moving where from pressure and stuff like that. And on November 6th, right before rifle season last year, I got a picture of him on the very South end of our property, um, on a logging road. And he was chased. It looked like he was chasing a doe. He was kind of in that bird dog looking position and he was going up the road from north to south and that was the last picture i got of him last year november 6th in the morning in daylight so i was like well good he's still alive you know dad's gonna kill him 
And I, I was hoping Dad killed him last year. Well, we, we never saw him, never got another picture of him, never, never, not a shed, nothing um, for the rest of the 22 to into 23. And um, we pick it back up in into June this year when I found him in the exact same spot he was in last summer. Okay. Do you, did you have an idea of why he liked to summer at your place and then disappear for a while and then come back? It had to have been the food that we have on the property in the summer. I mean, generally it's soybeans or it's double crop wheat and then corn or it's sorry, it's double crop soybeans or they'll do corn and then put wheat behind it. So it almost had to be because we had the food. Um, we have the water down there too. So, um, and we have all the other deer. So, you know, in the summertime, those deer, they, they're in big groups, um, especially the bucks generally. So, I mean, he, he was, uh, for whatever reason, and this property to the south, I don't want to say too much about it because people are going to know where I'm talking about, but this property to the south that I think that he went to, um, a, an older gentleman owns it, super nice guy, it butts up to our farm, and I actually approached him this year about leasing it because I had a feeling if that deer was still alive, that's where he was going to be. And um, he was a super nice guy, wasn't really interested in that. He's like 85, wasn't really interested in it. So uh, I took my shot on that, and it didn't pan out, but I'm pretty sure that's where that deer was living. Okay, all right. So you're starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together on, on this buck of where he was coming and going on your piece and where he was going on some of the, na- the neighbor's piece. The last trail camera picture that you had of him, last year was you said november 3rd or 6th or something like that november 6th and yeah, like eight, eight, eight o'clock in the morning okay and no confirmation any late season or postseason pics of him the next time you 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 saw him was june of this year june 30th i put a camera out on that we call it the we call it the dump field when my grandpa owned this place years ago you know all these old farmers around here if there was a ditch somewhere and they had like old metal or freezers they dumped that shit in a ditch yeah and so we just called it the old dump field and years ago i went in and cleaned it all up but it's just maintained the name you know and um anyway i've got a i've got a mineral site on the south end of this dump field that's it's probably only six or seven years old but it's huge i mean these deer have just it looks like a pig wallow you know and and they're in there every day and and uh, it's just a really good transition. So I, I put a I put a camera up there on June 30th or June 25th, something like that, and um, didn't check it for like July 2nd. I went back in there, I think, or third, and and uh, he was like the second or third deer on there. And I was like, oh my god, what what deer is this? Yeah. And then I I still didn't put it together that it was slingshot until. I started sending pictures to the Bama boys and I'm like, what deer is this? And, and immediately Cleveland was like, buddy, this is him from two years ago. I didn't see him last year. And then I'm like, Oh my God. So that's when I realized who he was at three, who he was at four. And then what I was assuming those ages to be. And then, and then I realized, you know, now, Oh shit, it's him. He's alive. Where the hell did he go? And I don't care where he went now at this point, but it's always, I mean, it was in the back of my mind all summer, you know? So I'm like, the key to this hunt's going to be getting him early because he's going to be gone. I yeah. mean, it's either he feels pressure or he uh, there's another he's not a he's not a deer that likes to fight or something and he gets pushed off. I mean, so I knew I knew it had to happen early. And, and I'm glad you said the word pressure because here's where I want this direct this this conversation to go now is 
how do you manage pressure on on this farm is like do you try to be as less impactful as possible or are you out there all this, the time? this is gonna blow your mind this um so my dad and my brother my brother um has a firewood a firewood business and kind of a log business that he basically runs from that farm and he's down there every single day yeah. and he and says so my dad and and they're down there dicking around with something every single day yeah. and uh you know i do have farms because i hunt seven different farms around this county so i do have farms that my impact is super minimal on and i try to keep it that way and it does make a difference but for whatever reason man on this farm those deer are so accustomed to people i mean it's not like i mean it's not like you can just hunt the wind wrong or you can just go out there after work and smell like shit i mean it's yeah. not going to work like that yeah but like they're used to people, man. And yeah. so I use that to my advantage as far as when I started bombarding this deer with cameras, um, is I, I knew he was comfortable in there. I mean, he was daylight all summer. He was daylight into the early fall. So, I mean, it, 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 it was kind of a fluke as far as this deer being so, um, used to human activity. I mean, and being a mature buck, I mean, you see that a lot of times out of smaller deer and does and, and yearlings and stuff, but you don't expect to see that out of them, a fully mature buck. And, yeah. and, uh, yeah, so it was, it's, it's not, it's not a, it's not a property that, that's really, Hey, stay the hell out of there type thing. It's like, yeah. do, do your thing. And, and, um, these deer are used to it, man. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, man, I've, I've heard of some guys I don't want to call it conditioning, really. Like they're not they're they're not purposely conditioning. I've heard guys that do. They go out every day. They live on their farms and they make a lap in their side by side down every two track yep. down every trail, and then they come back to their house, basically just saying, "Okay, they get used to that type of activity." And so, as long as they're not directly bumped, then yep. you know, I let you drive right by you exactly. Yep. Exactly. We call it deep. We call it desensitizing them. There you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we noticed it after we had our farm logged about ten years ago. Like after we had the farm logged, um, you could drive your side by sides or your truck down the logging trails, and the deer would just watch it go by. And we're like, "What in the hell is going on here?" And yeah. one of my buddies was like, "Dude, these things are just desensitized from all these from all these loggers being in here all summer." And I mean. Over the course of, you know, a deer growing up with it as a fawn, as a two-year-old, as a three-year-old, as a four-year-old, I mean, they learn where they're safe and where they think they're safe and where they're not. And they, yep. you know, if, if those side-by-sides and those trucks, for the most part, stay on those trails and they stay running and they don't stop running, I mean, most of the time, man, when they get used to it after a generation or two of deer, it seems like it seems like they're just like, oh, whatever, they're doing their thing, I'll yep. just let them leave and then I'll do my thing. Yep. But the second you start to tiptoe through the woods, oh, yeah. they're yep. gone. They're, they're, which could be yeah. why he, which could be why he left the last couple of years when we started putting hunting pressure on that farm because yep. he knew that something was different. I mean, this ain't the normal type of thing that I feel from them. You know yep. what I mean? Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, now he's big this year. I mean, he went from one fifty-five to what did you say you measured him at this year? We we measured him when we when I killed him we, we measured him at one eighty four and some change. Um so he's in that he's in that he put on about thirty inches this year, I'd say. Mid 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 eighties. Okay, giant buck. Yeah. All right. He's got your attention. 
right? And I'm oh, sure, sure, yeah, and I'm sure yeah. the Bama boys knew about him this year as well. They didn't have any pictures of him, but I, sh- I mean, we share all our pictures okay. together. So you know, um, yeah, I, I was, I was like, hey man, if this deer comes by, he absolutely shoot his ass. Like yeah. there is no, yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, we were. I mean, there's no, there's no. I've told people this for years, and I don't know that people believe me, but I don't have any reasons to keep any secrets on deer, man. I yeah. mean, I just, I really don't. I mean, I hunt up most of the time. I'm hunting a spot where they're safe. I mean, I, I just, but you know, I don't, ha- I don't keep secrets. Yeah. Here's my, uh, my next question is other uh, big deer, and you kind of mentioned, and I, and the term I, I always use is pow- a power vacuum. All right, so there's big deer in the area. And that sometimes they keep other deer out, especially if they're like a big bodied, big, mature, uh, aggressive deer doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what their antlers are. Sometimes that could be a hundred, the new farm that I uh, got permission to hunt this past year, the bully buck was probably a hundred and 125 inch eight, just a basket rack. Uh, but his body size was probably 250, 300 pounds, like huge, noticeably huge body. He walked, he would walk into the field and all the deer, just le- all the other bucks just left. Right. And he, and yep. he, he ran the roost. And so what, were there any other deer that were potentially keeping slingshot out of the area? Yeah, for sure. So, um, this farm that farm's got some good ones on it this year and a lot of them are up and comers i mean but there's one deer in particular and i'm not sure i mean this is this is just me kind of thinking out loud here but uh, it's a buck i call rj um he's uh, about a 145 10 pointer last year he was a a probably 155 10 but he went backwards this year and i'm thinking he's probably six and a half seven and a half years old super old buck um and uh, now I did get pictures of those two, those two deer together a lot this summer, but uh, that would have probably been one of the bucks that could have possibly kicked his ass out of there. Okay. Because RJ was there all year, every year. Gotcha. All right. Now, and so that's that's another thing that not everybody has the luxury of worrying about, but it's something to to consider. You get pictures of him. All right. Did you get consistent pictures of him all summer up up until let's just yeah. say uh, end of August? Yeah. So I'm gonna back up just a little bit. When I found him, um, I knew I was gonna have to be kind of sensitive on him. So initially, I put out six more cameras on him um, in about a 45 or 50 acre area and gave him a week and went back in there. They weren't cell cameras and went back in there and checked them. And I was only picking him up on two of the six. So I was like, okay, well, so I took six more cameras down there. And so where the two that I got him on, I just started working my way a little closer that to where he was coming from and gave those about a week. And so now I have 12 on him in about 40, 45 acres and started picking him up on four different cameras. So I'm like, okay, now I'm narrowing him down a little bit more. And this is probably mid to late July at this point. And so I, at that point, I got a couple of my cell cameras rolling and I started putting them on him. And so I've got like 14, 15 cameras on this deer at this point. And I'm just slowly kind of pushing back to where he's getting out of his bedroom and getting the first daylight pictures of him. And 
so I find this little narrow, and I didn't find it. It's just a farm lane. It goes from a 10-acre bean field. It's about a 200-acre, I call it the chute. It's about a 200-acre lane, that or 200-yard lane that runs from a 10-acre bean field to a 2-acre bean field. And that fucker was in there three to five nights a week, 6.45 to 7 o'clock at, at night. And I'm like, I'll be goddamn. He's coming right down that fucking chute. And my brother and my dad go down that chute multiple times a day just doing their shit throughout. So I, that's why I overlooked it. You know, yeah. I'm like, well, there's no way. Yeah. So, so then finally I was like, oh, my God, he's coming right down this damn chute. So this is getting close to early to mid-August at this point. So it's 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 getting close, you know, and deer's still doing his thing. And at this point, I'm staying the hell out of there as much as possible because I don't need him. Because I got one picture of him this summer, and he, he came right up to my camera, and he's got his nose up to the camera, and I didn't get another picture of that deer for a week. So after I saw that, I was like, fuck, he's on to me. Mm-hmm. Or he smelled me or something. And and then he, whatever happened for a week, and he, he came right back to that to that mineral lick again. So I, you know, and then so that's when I started moving cameras closer to him and, and uh, picked him up in this chute and um, set on up, set, you know, and I waited until September, I think it was September 7th or 8th to, to hang the stand because I was trying to kind of be pretty on point with what the wind was going to do that night because you know, I didn't want to hang a set for a south wind and then a month out and then have it ready and then come a week before season we got a north wind that I'm going to have to go move a set. Yeah. So, you know, this deer, this deer's still doing his thing even into the beginning of September. He sheds his velvet. He's still coming through the chute. He's still going to the mineral lick. So, about September 7th, 8th, night, somewhere in there, I'm looking at the long-range forecast, and it's just looking like south wind, south wind, south wind. And south that's wind. what I'm you like, needed, oh. right? You, you needed a I south need. wind. Okay. Yep. So I'm like, okay, well, time to go hang the set. So there's this giant bur oak on the edge of this. It's on the north edge of this two acre field. And I've been wanting to put a stand in it for a couple of years. I just, for whatever reason I hadn't. And I'm like, that's, that's the tree. I mean, it's, it's perfect. I mean, there's a, it, it forks at like 25 feet and you have all kinds of cover right there. So I get up to the fork, I put the stand up. Um, I go and I, I make a scrape post. So I go get it. My dad has a sawmill down there and he does a bunch of cedar lumber. So I went and got a, a cedar post and a cedar two by four and I made a, a rope scrape. So I put the post in the ground, cut the two by four off at the top, brace it at the bottom, paddle bit right through the two by four, uh, put a, put a, scra- a, hemp, a hemp rope on it, uh, make a scrape underneath it. Then I took the paddle bit and drilled through the other side of the post and went and got a limb off that bur oak and stuck it in there and then screwed it in made a couple scrapes underneath it right in this pinch and um i haven't gotten a picture of them working that scrape yet but dude they walk by that thing every freaking night and just downwind of it and yeah. just check it yeah seeing what the hell it is man and it worked and, yeah i've been messing with some mock scrape type setups too this year and and uh i hope i hope they're using them right now i i don't I don't have any uh, cell cams right now over top of any, uh, but I do have a couple regular trail cameras that I'll, I'll go check here early October when I go do my first hunts. But uh, I'm really like th- that mock scrape ever s- since I've started, you know, ever since I talked to Troy Pottinger on that uh, episode I did about specifically mock scrapes. Yeah, I, listened, I listened to that one. That was cool. Yeah. Uh, that uh, That's really got me fired up on how to properly, you know, properly use them, uh, those things. So that's that's awesome. Um, okay. So he's, he's working this road three to, you know, three out of five days a week. 
did you have an idea of where he was betting at? Yeah, absolutely. He was using one drainage um, that I could tell. He was using one drainage ditch, and it's it runs north to south. Um, and I don't know where he was using it at because I, I never went up in there to put any cameras out or anything. I did, as long as, as I was getting him in daylight in that shoot, I wasn't going any further. Okay. So I don't know for sure where he was because that shoot butts right up to that giant block of timber. I mean, this is probably a thousand acre block of timber, which, you know, we only have about 200, 250 acres of the north portion of it. So, you know, what I was afraid of is if I go up there and try to stick a camera on this deer and get him in the woods, which where I'm not going to be hunting him anyway, Mm -hmm. that could be the thing that blows him out of here. So I'm not doing it. Right. So I was pretty sure where he was coming through that shoot, he had to been using one drainage ditch. So, um, yeah, I had a really good idea where he's coming from. Now, out of curiosity, did you talk with your dad or your brother and say, Hey man, I'm, I'm going in, uh, on this buck, you know, on a South wind, excuse me, here pretty soon, don't go down that road, or was it just business as usual on the farm? Do your thing, man. Yeah. I didn't say, I, I mean, do your thing. He's he's there. He's still doing it every day. I don't give a shit. Like, yeah. do what you got to do. Okay. All right. All right. So, the I mean, the strategy set. You got the stand in there, right? And it's, it's a shooting with shooting lanes to – this this lane right i mean i can shoot i can shoot all the way across this this is where these deer come across this bean field it's only 60 yards across it so and at this burrow this will play into the story later when i actually get the shot off but this burrow has a ton of limbs underneath me that are kind of covering me from about the 20 to 30 yard area and there's some holes in it where i can get shots in but there's yeah um I mean, I've got I've got a lot of cover and a lot of limbs that are blocking me out. But yeah, he's uh, yeah. He'd be if he came right underneath you. It'd be difficult to get a shot at him. I wouldn't have got a shot if he came right underneath me. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so your gut told you he's going to come on this opposite side of this this field, basically. Yeah, I was I was pretty sure he was just going to walk right through that pinch like he'd been doing that summer, and then just I was hoping that there'd be other deer in the field when he came out to kind of keep him calm, and there was, and and um, yeah, and he did pretty much exactly what I thought he'd do, but he man, he threw me for a loop whenever I finally, I mean, you know how it goes in the moment of truth. I mean, everything seems like it's happening twice as fast as it yeah. does, and um, it was a it was a roller coaster once it all finally happened. And this was a bean field, right? He was coming to. It was, and actually, these beans aren't getting harvested this year because they were double crops. So they they drilled them in like right around the Fourth of July, maybe a little before that in June, and we had just a shitty drought this year. Yeah. And those beans those beans didn't germinate very quick, so the weeds grew up like crazy. And so the the farmer, I don't know, a month or two ago, had his insurance guy come down, and his insurance guy's like, "Yeah, don't even worry, you know, not even worth messing with." Okay. So I'm really friends with the farmer and uh, this little two acre piece. I was like, dude, there's, I know it's not worth you messing with, but there's beans in there. Like, do you care if I go in there and spray them clean and put radishes and turnips in there? He's like, no, go ahead. I don't give a shit. So I go in there probably middle of August and two, four D and, and, um, and round up these beans down and, and kill everything in them. And, and, uh, beans are actually looking pretty decent after about a week of die down. 
So I go in right as it's raining one day and I just broadcast turnips and radishes and a little bit of fall mix in a walking lane. I till a walking lane where they come out of the chute to go right to that uh, scrape post. And uh, so I, I've seeded, I kind of overseeded it all, just no-tilled it or whatever one day while it was raining. And uh, it grew great, and those deer are just hammering it. Okay. So not so, only— So I sweetened, I sweetened the spot up a yeah, little bit. Yeah. So you identified this deer's pattern. You identified the food source. And then you said to yourself, okay, now it's time to make it really good. I'm going to kill these weeds. Right. I'm going to plant some more food in there. Were the, were the beans starting to dry out and turn— turn brown you know they're still green still they're still green, green because they, see, they didn't probably actually germinate well until middle of july so okay. i mean shit they're yeah they're still they're still the ones that are there that still have leaves on them, the deer haven't demolished they're still green okay perfect so you, you got it set up you got it set up let's talk about uh the the time frame that you said to yourself i this is when what was your plan on when you were going to attack this buck as soon as possible when i had the first wind i okay. mean and what day was as that as i had september 15th opening night and i wasn't going to hunt him in the mornings i mean i wasn't getting i was getting pictures of him in the morning randomly but they weren't daylight i mean they were 3 a.m 4 a.m and he was going through the shoot already so mm. there was no sense i don't hunt i very rarely hunt mornings anyway i mean i just most of my bucks have been killed in the evening so i'm just more of an evening guy but yeah. so i knew the first evening that i had a south wind i'm I'm going. Okay. When? It was south of the 15th. Okay. How many days leading up to that, whether you know or maybe you know now, how many days leading up to that was he coming th through in front of your trail cameras? So when he shed his velvet, he had slowed down his pattern through that shoot to only coming through like maybe every third day or so. Mm -hmm. And he came through it on the 11th. And then he went on the 12th, he went through and went to that mineral lick. So I knew that he, and both in daylight, one at like 6.45, one at like 7.15, like right right as dark, you know. And uh, so I hadn't had him through the shoot in three days. So I'm like, yeah, he's got to come back through. There. Like it's just the do factor is going to work here at some point, you know. And uh, so I just took a chance. I mean, I just kind of took a chance on him being there. And he was. Oh, man, that's awesome. All right, September 15th, afternoon hunt, south wind. How jacked are you going into this, and how confident were you that he was going to show up? I was so I was just nervous the whole time. Uh, so I sent a picture to my wife. I could not get my hands to stop sweating at like five o'clock in the tree stand. My hands are just fucking drenched, and I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ! So I take a picture of my palm and I send it to my wife, and I'm like, my hands will not stop sweating. And she sends me a text message back that says, "Get your shit together," and I'm like, okay. I got it. That's a good so, wife. That's a good wife right there. Yeah, she's, oh my God. Yeah. I got lucky there. Yeah. She's yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't. So I, I'm nervous and, but you know, as the night starts kind of unfolding, I mean, it's kind of playing out how I'm expecting. I mean, with six o'clock and there's does coming out and feeding and you know, the wind in this bottom, luckily it was low humidity that day. So like, it wasn't high humidity. My my wind wasn't dropping straight to the ground because I had a lot of does that came through and they would get downwind of me, but they're like 70, 80 yards. And, and they, you know how, do you use an ozonic stand? I do. Well, you know what I'm talking about. They'll kind of look and they'll kind of like, what the hell is that? And they'll just start putting their nose in there. Yeah. And a group of three come walking right 
towards me. And I'm like, God damn it. Don't mm-hmm. you do it. Like mm-hmm. you ruin this and you're dead. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, they get like 20 yards and she's, she can't figure out what the hell it is. And I've got some nose jammer in the tree too. And so they just kind of flick their tails and walk on. And I, I probably saw 15 or 16 does and fawns that night and none of them spooked and then end up having nine different bucks come through before slingshot and none of them spooked. And so I was like, man, this is, if he's in here, it's going to work. So at like, I would say 715, uh, I look into the chute and, uh, here comes, here comes a buck and I put the binoculars up and it's RJ and he's got a big white double throat patch. So he's really easy to notice even if he's staring right at that. Yeah. And he's about 60 yards and I'm like, shit, there's RJ. And I'm looking at him through the binoculars and all of a sudden this coyote starts going crazy, like 150 yards behind me. And RJ like throws his head up and just stares in that direction, stands there for about two minutes and turns his tail, walks right back through the shoot, get a picture of him leaving. I'm like, well, shit, that probably just ended it right there. Yeah. Fucking kite, you know? And so I'm standing up and I've been standing for about 10 minutes watching some more deer filter through. And, um, man, I look down to my left and he's walking straight to me at 30 yards. And I'm like, Oh shit, that's him. He snuck up and on it's you. Getting yeah, but he can't. He, he did not come through the shoot because I did not get a picture of him. So he may have cut a trail before he got to that camera, mm-hmm. which is looking back on it, I think that's probably what he was doing when I wasn't getting his picture quite so often in that shoot as he was cutting a trail before that camera. Um, so anyway, I looked down and I can tell it's a big body deer and it's getting pretty dark. So I just grabbed my binoculars real quick, one handed look, confirm it's him. He's coming left to right. I grab my bow. I've already ranged all my spots. I know how far he is. He's getting into my 30-yard hole, so I go ahead and tr- get ready to draw back. By the time I get my bow and get all my shit hooked up, I couldn't even get drawn back on him before he gets through the 30-yard hole. So I lose so him was, behind these. Birds. He was walking pretty quickly. He was on. He was on a mission. Okay. Yeah. He right. was going somewhere. He wasn't wasting any time. But for whatever reason, okay. So he st- he gets out behind these burrow limbs and he's walking. He gets to like 45, 50 yards. And it's it's probably too dark for me to really shoot at 45 at this point. So I'm like, shit, he's, I'm going to have to hunt him tomorrow night. So he's eating in the field. And for whatever reason, he just turns around and walks straight at me. And he comes downwind of that scrape, excuse me, that scrape post. And I know from ranging every spot when I get in there, the scrape post is at 35 yards. My pins are set 25, 35, 45, and I can dial past 45. So I'm like, okay, he's at 35. So I go ahead and draw back. If he turns to my right, I'm going to stop him and shoot him at 35 yards. But for whatever reason, he turns left. He goes back behind the burrow limb, so I got to let my bow down. And he gets, he's walking real slow, just feeding. I can see him through these leaves, and he gets almost to my 30-yard hole uh, in these burrow limbs. So I went ahead and draw back as soon as he almost hits that hole, right? And he's just standing there with a turnip in his mouth, just like chewing it, just head in the hole, nothing else. And I'm like, you got to be shitting me. I'm at full draw on the son of a bitch. Take one more step, buddy. And he... He turns around, goes back to the right, so I got to let down again. So at this point, he's getting a little closer to me. He's probably at about 25 yards now, and he's getting ready to walk out from behind these limbs and be 25 yards, so I come to full draw, and he stops again. And I'm standing there and standing there at full draw, and, you know, I wasn't I wasn't film, or I didn't, I wasn't filming or anything, so I don't have a time stamp, but I'm guessing 
45 seconds to a minute i'm at full draw and um he won't move he won't move he's just feeding so i slowly let my bow down again and, and, and light's fading quick at this point right it's fading quick i still since he's only 30 yards i've still got enough light but i mean it's 7 30 you know i think end illegal was like 7 46 or something like yeah. we had some time um but so then finally he wags his tail and that's the telltale sign he's getting ready to move so i just draw back he takes about three steps i stop him he looks right at me and put the pin on him shot him he mule kicks runs about 80 yards crashes in the field stands back up and then just tipped over and it was i mean it was it's still i mean just talking about it still gives me chills man. you know what i mean man i'm i got the chills yeah. dude yeah I, I tell you I've been in a, I, I've never really been in a scenario like that where I've had to come to full draw, come down, come to full draw, all while the deer is within shooting range. Like I've had, I've had deer like come in close. I've had to come to full draw, let go, and then they they've left, and I've never got an opportunity. But not not very many have come ever come back into shooting range. So the fact that you had some sort of composure to ride that out and still make a, a great shot, man. That's pretty impressive, man. It, it rung me out, buddy. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. Like I, I just sat down in my, in my stand and I really don't even remember. I know I called my wife, I called her right away and she goes, hello. And I said, I just got him. And then she put my, she's, you know, she goes crazy and she puts my boys on the phone and, they go crazy too, and and uh, called called one of my best friends, and was basically hyperventilating, you know, <laughs> when I was telling the story. And uh, yeah, and then, uh, but see, so here's the thing: I this is the twentieth deer I'll have on the wall, and I've called my, I've either shown my dad or called my dad first on every single one of them. Yep. But he was he was he was hunting with me that night down about a quarter mile, half mile from me. So he actually dropped me off on the side by side and then he drove down to his spot. So I hadn't told him yet. And I hear his side by side coming. And I'm like, well, I'm not gonna tell him at this point, you know, I'm just gonna let him pull up. So he pulls up and he's about sixty yards and he turns his side by side off and it's dark. And I'm still in a tree getting all my shit together, you know. And uh, he shuts his side by side off and I said, Did you get one? And he said, Nope. I said, oh, and nothing was said for like 20 seconds. And he goes, what the hell are you doing? And I said, well, I'm trying to get my shit together. And he's like, well, hurry up. And I said, just drive over here. I mean, me and my dad are best friends. Yeah. We like to give each other shit like that all the yeah. time. You know? So he drives over there, shuts his side by side off. He's like, what the hell are you doing up there? I was like, man, I'm trying to get all my stuff together so I don't forget nothing. You know, just give me a second. Yeah. And I'm like, walk out in front of that ranger, see if you can find any blood. And he was like, do what? And I'm like, I just, I just killed him. And he's like, no, you didn't. And I'm like, yeah, he's laying dead right over there. And he's like, well, get out of that stand. And I'm like, I, I got it. And I was like, but I'm still shaking. You're going to have to let me sit here for a second. Like, go see if you can find him. You yeah. know, he's like, no, I want to wait for you. So then it was awesome, man. I mean, it, it was pretty special to have dad right there with me. And I hadn't even walked up on him yet. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah, we filmed the recovery, which was, we'll always have. And, it's, it was, dude, it was a special, special night. And I hope it's not my last one, but it was a damn good experience for the first one. Yeah. First tree. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, did you, is this your biggest buck? 
Yeah, I killed one in 05 that was 175, and I've got a couple in the 60s, but this one's, this one's, it's the biggest one. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I really like this question. What, what was the thought running through your head when you grabbed his horns for the first time and picked his head up to get a real good look at him? I did. I mean, yeah, the video, the video says it all. Uh, I'll have to send it to you. I just didn't really have much to say, man. I was just like, wowzers. Yeah, I waited my, I've waited my whole life for this, and I've put in, shit, I don't even know how many hours, probably more than I've actually worked Yeah. Uh, for a deer like that. And uh, it was just to have it all happen. And when I picked him up, he was a, probably a little better than I expected him to be, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was just like a huge, just like a huge relief, you know. Yeah. And a sense of accomplishment, too. I mean, yeah, absolutely. actually. Absolutely, yeah. man. That's well, well, congratulations, dude. Now there's pluses and minuses in this story, right? The plus is you got a giant, you shot a giant opening day. Now does, is residents of Missouri, do you guys get two tags? Yeah, we do. And so you, you have another archery tag. Um, well, yes. Cause I, I don't, I don't rifle hunt. I, I usually just take people with me when i during rifle season and i kind of let my farms like absorb the pressure um so i don't really rifle hunt but i do have a tag that comes in on the opening day of rifle season so we can either kill one buck before rifle season and one buck after rifle season with a bow or you can kill two bucks after rifle season with a bow so my second tag won't come into like november 12th 13th 14th something like that gotcha okay now it for you is rj on the table or is that a deer that it's you're gonna try to get somebody else on? I, I'd really like for Dad to kill him. Yeah. I mean, or, or somebody else down there. I mean, and I and I, I mean, if he's still around at the end of the year, and I haven't found um, another deer that really trips my trigger somewhere else, then I'll I'll probably target him pretty hard if he's still alive, like you know, late November, December. Okay. And, you know, like I usually be pretty good about that time of year on our on our food sources. So, yeah. if there's not another option for me, then yeah, I'll, I'll probably go after him. But I hope he's killed well before that. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, at least there's still things to do. Do you got any out of state hunts planned? No, um, you know I don't really travel out of state. Next year I am going uh, to Idaho to elk hunt. So, yep. um, I will probably uh, I really want to kill a, a wood duck pair. I want to get a pair of wood ducks mounted. So. Um, I'll probably try to do a little bit of duck hunting, which I've never really done much of this fall. Uh, and then I'm going to go catch a shitload of crappie for sure. Oh, well, I tell you what, at least you're not like gonna, I don't wear yourself, wear yourself out, waking up early and then, and then, you know, hunting all day during the rut and things like that. So, uh, dude, congratulations. This buck is a magnum and, uh, I hope that you and, you know, Whoever runs into RJ, you know, finds success and, and, uh, your season's not over. So you still got plenty of hunting left to do, man. I, thanks for, for hopping on today. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. This is fun. And there you have it. Huge shout out to Matt, man. Really appreciate you taking time out of your day to tell this story. It was an awesome story. I'm glad uh, you finally got an arrow in that buck. Huge shout out to Tethered, Wasp, Vortex, Ozonics, Code Blue, Woodman's Pal, and Huntworth. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Uh, and if you do decide to buy something from them, man, uh, you know, let them know that you heard it from the Nine Finger Chronicles. Uh, last but not least, man, good vibes. 
let's have some positive energy going into the hunting season and uh and then at the same time if you're going to be in a tree wear your damn safety harness hunt hard hunt safe and we will talk to you on friday